0: Grab your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, as we continue our series in living with character and conviction. Daniel, chapter 2, you know, most of the time when we dream, uh, a a dream's just a dream, that's all it is. Uh, It can be influenced by your own emotions, you know, whatever's been going on uh, that day or recently in your life could be influenced by a TV show you watch that night or a slice of cold pizza you had before bed, you know, whatever. It's it's just a dream and and doesn't really mean anything. But occasionally, uh, God has used dreams to communicate a specific message to people, and such is the case today as we come to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, but before we actually get into to that and the dream, we, we need to catch up with a, a few thoughts uh, from uh, chapter 1. Last week we saw the beginning of Daniel's story. He, along with uh, a, a bunch of other top-notch youth from Israel, were taken captive and carted off to Babylon after Babylon had overrun Uh, Israel and King Nebuchadnezzar's tactic with conquered countries was to get the cream of the crop from amongst the young people, um, put them through a a, a rigorous training program to indoctrinate them in all things Babylonian, and then to select from them the best uh, of the best uh, to serve in his royal court. And, and part of this three-year-long uh, training period uh, was an uh, attempt to separate them from their uh, uh, religious heritage. And part of that was by giving them new names and, and also then teaching them the, the pagan beliefs and, and system of, of Babylon. And eating the king's food might have been viewed as simply a bonus for these people. They get good food to eat as opposed to the others. But it actually came with the price of having to acknowledge the validity of the uh, pagan idols that Babylon served. And Daniel, we are told, purposed in his heart that he would not do that. And he, along with three friends uh, with him, stood firm in that purpose. And last Sunday, we looked at the idea of living with that kind of conviction in our own lives. And, and God honored them for that. Uh, and, we, and we made note last week, you know, God does honor that, not always immediately. Sometimes that honor comes in eternity, but God will always honor that when we stand firm. But for these guys, He honored them in that time period. Verse 17 of chapter 1 says, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, that does not mean that these guys did not study hard in their uh, in their homework and their tests. I mean, they did, but what it means is that God honored uh, their their work and granted them the grace to learn and to comprehend and to understand all these things they needed to know. And at the end of that three years uh, of training, they were brought before the king, these four along with all the other trainees, right? And they were given an oral pop quiz by the king himself and it says that out of all of these uh, trainees, Nebuchadnezzar found that Daniel and his three friends were the best. Look at uh, verse twenty. It says, "As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than the magicians, the conjurers uh, who were in all his realm." Now. 10 times is a colloquialism they used the exact same way we would use it. It doesn't mean that he asked them 100 questions and the other guys got 10 right and Daniel got 100 right. It just means he was way better than everybody else. He was heads and tails. These, these four guys were heads and tails above everyone else, even better than the already established uh, wise guys uh, in the kingdom. And these guys, they passed with flying colors and as such... They were then pressed into the king's service. And that brings us up to chapter 2, which begins this way. It says, now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Uh, Just a reminder about the Babylonian uh, dating system. The second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign would actually be his third year because remember the first year was called the ascension year. They didn't count it and stuff like this. So this took place right after Daniel and all those people had finished their three years of training. Uh, We're just following right on the heels uh, of things there. And um, uh, the king was having really bad dreams. They troubled his spirit so much that he couldn't sleep anymore and he knew he just had to do something about it so he calls in his cabinet uh, for help. Uh, Check it out. It says, Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. So notice it, it starts off In the plural, he had these dreams that were troubling him, but it ends with the singular, I I had uh, a dream and I want you to tell me it. And and basically what that is saying is he had the same dream night after night after night. You know, it, it just kept coming and just kept... Uh, plaguing him and, and got to the point where he couldn't sleep anymore and he figures out, man, this, this dream has to mean something. There has to be uh, some importance to it and, and hopefully in finding out what it is, then I can put an end to this. I'll stop being plagued by the dreams and I, I can get back to a good night's sleep so his advisors his cabinet included the magicians which would be the religious soothsayers of of the group conjurers and sorcerers uh, these guys would all be adept at Reading signs, quote unquote. I mean, all kinds of signs. They would uh, not to get gross or anything, but they would uh, like take a chicken and cut open its guts and pfft, spill it on the table, and then wherever the lizard, uh, liver and the gizzard and the and entrails were, that's supposed to tell certain things about the future. And they would read signs like this or other portents in the sky, uh, the, the moon and this, uh, the uh, the stars and the planets, the alignments, you know, horoscope, all all these things that God has has forbidden. That's what these guys uh, were, were good at doing, trying to discern hidden mysteries and, and messages in the future and this type of thing. Uh, the Chaldeans uh, of the group, they were the more, quote-unquote, scientific members uh, of this particular uh, group. Uh, they had all kinds of books and formulas that they used for interpreting dreams. Archaeologists have actually dug up some of those things and, and, and references to their extensive libraries and all this kind of stuff. So they would just go to their books and say, oh, you did this and that and th- this kind of thing. Um, uh, and, and so Nebuchadnezzar calls them all in and figures, man, if anybody can help me, these guys can help me. However, he must have been at least somewhat suspicious of their true abilities because he decides to put them to the test. They first had to tell him what his dream was, then give the interpretation of it. Now, you know, if you tell someone uh, a a dream that you have, right, if you tell them what the dream was, well, anybody can tell you that it means practically anything, right? And how can you argue against it? Uh, Just for the fun of it, I went to Amazon just to see if they had any books on interpreting dreams. They had dozens of them. I I, I couldn't believe it. A couple of them even claimed to be Christian. They said they could offer the reader means of discerning what your dreams meant, including the uh, various uh, uh, actions and activities in your dreams, what those symbolized. I mean, what a bunch of bunk. It's just crazy. Anybody... Anybody in here ever had that dream where you're falling and you just start like that? Oh, well, I could interpret that for you. I could tell you, oh, this means that something uh, uh, horrendous is coming close in your life and you're about to fall off the edge of this. You've got to be careful. You've got to follow this. And, and, and then you know what's going to happen after you read that interpretation? you're going to look for something bad happening. And now something bad happening could be you get a big zit right before a date or something like this. Oh, it's so horrible. Just like my dream said it was going to be, you know, and, and, and you've got this thing. Um, and, and you, you know, it's dumb. I'll, I'll write the book, 1099 on Amazon. All the profits go to So We'll do that. Uh, anybody... <laughs> Anybody could write a book and say it means anything. So Nebuchadnezzar, he he was smart enough. He figured this out. And and so he's going to test these soothsayers, see what uh, abilities they really have. And if they're playing games with him, well, then there was going to be severe consequences. Uh, Look at verse 5. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation... You will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure when they heard this, they all uh, immediately needed a fresh pair of fruit of the looms because they all knew that their fortune telling and their dream interpretation was just a bunch of hocus pocus. But you know, it, it had always been the accepted way that things were done. Um, all the previous Babylonian kings had accepted dream interpretations from the Chaldeans. The king would tell them what the dream was. The soothsayers would give the meaning, and that's the way it was. So what's the deal here with Nebuchadnezzar demanding that they tell him the dream first? That wasn't, uh, that, that's not the way it's supposed to go. That wasn't going to fly. So they try again, and, and they say, hey, king, you just tell us what the dream is. Then we'll tell you what it means. And the king said, no way. That's not the the way it's going to be. You tell me. And and that's when the magicians really started whining. But in their whining, they actually made a true, although from a pagan perspective, a true observation. Uh, Look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything of the like of this for any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean, moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it uh, to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Oh, you see, they got that right, right? Only God, only God could see and know a person's dream. So basically... This was an admission of failure, and King Nebi, he threw a a royal hissy fit and ordered these guys uh, to be executed, Uh, not just these guys, but all of the wise men in his entire kingdom. So possibly those guys that were in the court, right at the they, they, they possibly got executed right away. It doesn't really tell us. But what it does tell us is that the commander of the king's bodyguard then went out and began searching for the rest of them uh, to put them to death as well. And when he came to Daniel, Daniel says, Whoa, uh, wh- wh- what's going on? Why is the king's order so urgent here? What, what's happening? And Ariok, the, the captain of the bodyguard, he tells Daniel. And Daniel says, Well, h- hold on. I can take care of this. And Daniel went in, saw the king, and told the king, give me just a little time, and I can tell you. And the king gave him time. Why? The Chaldeans and the conjurers and the magicians, they all said, we can't do it. Nobody can do it. Daniel said, I, I can do this. Just give me a little time. The king's like, okay, I- I'll give you a-, a little bit of time. And so Daniel immediately heads home. He calls his three friends together, and they commence to praying. Why? because Daniel, just like the Chaldeans, had no idea what the king dreamed, right? He, he didn't know the dream anymore than anybody else. And if they were going to be saved from the king's death sentence, it would only be because God intervened. And God, in His grace, He answered the prayers, gave Daniel the information he needed, right? And and, and if it was me, I mean, if I was in that position, as soon as I got that information, I'd have been running to the king saying, don't kill me, don't kill me, I got the answer. We can do this, right? But not Daniel. He took time to first pray a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God. And then, after that, he went to the king, who, who the king, this, he just cut right to the chase. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? There's a little veiled thread in there. I've seen the dream. I know what it is. Have you made, are you able to make it known to me and its interpretation? And again, if it was me, I would have been tempted to go, Yeah, yeah, I got this, you know, know, don't worry about it, this type of thing. But Daniel wanted to make sure that God got all the credit. Uh, Look at the way he answered. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while you were on your bed. So before he gets into declaring this is what it was, he says, hey, only God, only God who could do this. He wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know right out It's not Daniel, it's God. And, and And then Daniel proceeded to tell him, what his dream was. He said, you you, O king, you you dreamed you saw a massive statue. Uh, The head was of gold and and the chest and the arms were silver, the the belly and the thighs were bronze and the legs were iron and the feet were iron mixed with clay. And and while you were looking at this huge, impressive statue, you saw a stone. It it, it was cut out without hands. And, And this stone came and smashed into the feet, the the iron and clay mixed feet. But it didn't just smash into the feet and tip over the, the statue. It pulverized the entire statue, turning it to fine dust that was blown away on the wind, and there was nothing left. And then that stone began to grow, and it turned into this mountain, and it continued to grow and grow until this mountain filled the entire earth. That King Nebuchadnezzar was your dream. Now, the interpretation is this. The, the statue represents various world empires and, and the head of gold, that's you, King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the Babylonian empire. It is the head of gold, this, this uh, top of the statue. And, and of course, that had to make uh, you know Nebuchadnezzar feel pretty good, right? But then Daniel said that his kingdom, his head of gold, would be replaced by an inferior one the 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 silver chest. Now imagine what kind of courage that took for Daniel just to say that, right? because back in those days, uh, world empire kings they were deified, uh, as we 're going to see more plainly in our next chapter and uh, and uh, um, the customary greeting, you know, like when all the wise men would come into the court and see the king, the customary greeting was, oh, king, live forever. And Daniel was saying, you ain't gonna. <laughs> hey, right? He, he, there's another one coming after you. Uh, and that took a, a lot of courage and a lot of guts, but it's what God said would happen. And Daniel uh, was faithfully relaying the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. And then he said, after that silver kingdom would come yet another kingdom, the the bronze belly and thighs, and it would rule over the whole earth. It was geographically going to be even more widespread. And then a fourth kingdom would follow that. But then after that, the rock, that would, uh, would be uh, God's divine kingdom, which would be set up. And unlike every other earthly kingdom, it will never be destroyed or come to an end. It will fill and cover the entire earth. And now after hearing all of that, Nebuchadnezzar, man, he was flabbergasted. First of all, the dream was exactly right. It was. It is exactly what he had dreamed, and, and the interpretation therefore made perfect sense. I mean, if Daniel knew all the details of the dream, certainly he had to know what they meant. And, and as a result, Nebuchadnezzar just heaped praise and, and wealth uh, on Daniel and gave him this major promotion uh, in the kingdom uh, over all. Uh, the other wise men. And Daniel did not forget his three friends who had been praying with him. He, he mentioned them and they got in on the, on the promotion bit. So that's chapter two in a nutshell. What, what lessons can we pull from that today? And again, as I said uh, back when we were starting this series, we're, we're not going to be doing a study and focusing on the, the prophecies and what they mean, but rather on the character of Daniel. What, what can we learn from him? And I think there's, there's four basic lessons that we can take away from this. Number one, God works in humanly impossible situations. Daniel knew that his only hope was God. He couldn't divine what the king had dreamed any more than the magicians or anybody else could. But human impossibilities are no obstacle for God. In fact, I think God sometimes, and maybe I would dare say oftentimes, leads us into humanly impossible situations so that we do seek Him and see Him work. In fact, I can tell you That every single person in this room, every single person on the globe has faced or is facing a humanly impossible situation, which is, how can I, a sinful person, be made right with God? It's impossible. Being right with God requires perfection. And I don't know about, well, actually, I do know about you. I can say this for myself too and I guarantee you it's true about you. I failed at the perfection thing way back when I was a young kid and it hasn't stopped. And no amount of good works no matter how stupendous they might be or abundant they might be can't erase the sins I've already committed. And so therefore I'm toast. It's an impossible situation. But God acted in that humanly impossible situation. He sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty and set me free from the consequences of those sins. That's salvation. And so the question is, are are you out there trying your hardest to do that on your own in an impossible situation? Or have you accepted God's work on your behalf? He works in the impossible situation. And now, even as a believer, God may allow me at different times to face impossible situations in some other areas. But you know what? That's okay because I have a God who works the impossible, who has already proven it to me by making me right with God, forgiving my sins. So maybe you today are facing an impossible situation. Or maybe you'll face one tomorrow or next month. But do not lose heart. Our God does the impossible. Lesson number two. Our best course of action when faced with any difficulty is prayer. That's our best course of action, not our last option, right, when we've tried everything else. Isn't it kind of silly how we tend to do that as people? I've done everything. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to make this work, and, and nothing's working, so I guess I, 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 all I can do is pray. Nope, you got that backwards. You start with prayer. That's the way you begin. Daniel's example To us is exactly that. After getting the reprieve, that little bit of extra time from the king, Daniel immediately sets out to fix the problem. How is he going to fix it? Praying. And although God hears the prayer of every individual, Daniel didn't go it alone. We're told the first thing he did in verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter. Why did he do that? Verse 18, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He was calling a prayer meeting and we're praying until God answers or, or we're killed, one or the other, whichever happens first. We're praying. And you know what? Prayer is powerful, but there's something especially powerful about praying together. You remember in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John get arrested for preaching the gospel? After they were released, the very first thing they did was get all of their companions together and pray for boldness to keep on preaching. And they could have prayed that on their own, but what's recorded for us is that they prayed together. So don't let prayer be an afterthought or a last resort for you, make prayer your first response because it truly is the best option. It's the best option in all situations, but especially when you're facing impossible circumstances. And here's another aspect of that. Don't, don't keep it to yourself. Don't We're such a private people and we shouldn't be. Get others in on the praying. And, and you know, if it's if it's a sensitive, if it's a private issue, well then get your close friends. Get them in on, on, on praying. Don't be afraid to share your burden. The, the example we have from Daniel and from the rest of Scripture is that praying together is your first, your best option. Lesson number three. The kingdoms of this earth will rise and fall. But the kingdom of God will last forever. Now, this is not just something for prophecy buffs to try to figure out all the details of all the points of the dream and all these things he's doing and what do the toes mean that are mixed with it, you know, all this kind of stuff. We got all kinds of books on that. It's not just that. There's there's practical implications for us in these things. The moment you come to Christ, you are a part of his eternal kingdom. This kingdom that's going to last forever. That's why the New Testament uh, describes us as pilgrims just passing through. Or why Philippians uh, 3.20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven. That, that's, that's, we belong to a new kingdom, an eternal <coughs> kingdom. And, and I have to tell you, I, I'm a patriotic guy. I mean, I love America. Uh, I love that we have a say in our government and a right to vote, which I hope you'll be doing here soon, right? Uh, I, I get... Choked up every time I hear Lee Greenwood singing. I'm proud to be an American. Right? Or at least I know I'm free. I love. I love that. And, and yes, I understand the problems. There's issues. There's there's faults. There's failures in this country. But you know what? Since every country is populated by and run by imperfect people, there's going to be problems in every country. So I'd rather live in America than any other country on earth. And those that don't want to live here, they have the freedom not to. You, that's part of the great thing about being American. You can leave if you want to. And, and there's some that I'd help them pack their bags and get out if they, wanted, if they want to go. But, but having said that, my ultimate allegiance is to God's kingdom which covers the whole earth. And if God called me to to move to some other country for the sake of His kingdom, then I would go. Because our life is not about any earthly kingdom. They're all going to pass away. That's why Jesus said, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. His kingdom is what will last. Make that your top priority. And and the things you need down here on earth, he'll he'll see to that too because God is ruler and sovereign not only over his divine kingdom but but over all earthly kingdoms as well. So are you making his kingdom your number one priority? Lesson number four, last one. Be sure to give God Praise for what he does. Daniel and his friends, you know what? They could have easily taken credit for revealing and interpreting the king's dream. Nobody else would have known, right? They could have waltzed in there and one-up to all the other magicians and conjurers and that kind of stuff. We got it for you, old king. But every step of the way, Daniel carefully and clearly gave God all the credit. Uh, we saw that earlier when we read verses 27 and 28, how Daniel gave God the credit. But just in case they didn't get that, he uh, he repeated it again just in verse 30. He says, but as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Daniel said, man, it's it's not about me at all. I'm no better. I'm no better than anybody else, which is quite a statement to make when all the pagan court magicians had just failed, right? But he said, it's all about God. And when God helps us accomplish something, let's make sure He gets the credit. We all face difficult circumstances where we need God to work. So seek Him in those situations, and then be sure to praise Him in them as well. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, well, well, what situations would those be? That'd be all of them. Every situation, not just the ones that seem to be impossible. Those are the good ones to seek God and look for His work. And Daniel gave God the praise and the credit publicly before the king, but he also did it privately. Remember I said Daniel took time to pray a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God when he gave him the answer to the dream? That's how I want to end today. I want to end by reading and praying that prayer with you. So if you'd bow your heads, this is Daniel's prayer. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to Him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. Amen. Amen.